Do you have goals for your life? Do you want to grow in God? Join me as we deep dive into real and relevant strategies that ignite you to seek God and slay goals. Hey y'all, get ready for a discussion about life, business, relationships, and more, all from a biblical perspective. And I'm your host, Felicia L. Henry. All right, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of the Seek God's Legos podcast. I am so excited for our interview for today, for this episode. I have with me the amazing Pastor Jennifer M. Joseph, and I'm going to let her tell you all about herself. She's doing some amazing things. Um, she's, she's local to where I am. I'm in Philadelphia. Um, and I had the chance to connect with her and the work she was doing on social media, and I definitely loved everything that she was doing. I reached out to see if she could come on um, just to be a part of some of the conversations we were having here at Seek God Slay Goals, and I'm delighted that she said yes, and so I'm excited for the conversation that we are going to have today. So, Pastor Jen, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm really excited to be here, and I um, thank you for the invitation, so I'm uh, looking forward to the discussion that we're going to have today. Absolutely, absolutely. So before we hop into anything, just go ahead, introduce yourself, let people know who you are, you know, where you're from, and just some of the things that you're really passionate about. Sure, absolutely. I am a Philadelphia native, daughter of two immigrants. Uh, so I'm Haitian American. I have been living in Philadelphia pretty much my entire life. I professionally am the deputy director and director, um, excuse me, and chief DEI officer at Highest Pennsylvania, which is a nonprofit organization that provides social and legal services to immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers. Um, my professional background um, is in human resources. I am also the assistant pastor at the Zion Pentecostal Church of God in West Philadelphia. I'm also a businesswoman, um, a community leader, uh, influencer, if you will. Um, I host various events, mentor a lot of youth, um, and I'm also the founder of the Women's Fest um, and uh, Bloom Circle, which is a nonprofit organization that is geared towards empowering women of color. Awesome. And we're definitely going to talk more about um, the organization and some of the other things. We're going to dive deeper into them. Um, but I just love how the things that you're doing, they're very community focused and they're, they're very uplifting, geared towards women, you know, helping women to advance. So I definitely love that. Um, yeah. So at the time of this recording, uh, we're just a few days past the election results. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been a few days since Biden has been announced as president-elect. Mm -hmm. So what have, what are your feelings about what's been happening with the election and how are you feeling now post these results as of right yeah. now? Yeah, I think that the election um, is really a reflection of this entire year. Right. I think that um, 2020 really lived up to the expectation of being, being a year of 2020 vision. Um, and the reason why I say that is because uh, the pandemic and just everything that has sort of transpired within this year has really sort of removed a blanket 
um, and allowed us to see people for who they really are, systems for what they really are, the conditions of um, many of our communities where our black and brown people reside to see them for what they really are. And it really is just a revelatory year. And so I think that coming full circle, this election, um, jokingly, a lot of people on social media have said this election was like a great season finale to like the horror, horror, horror film uh, that is the year 2020. And so I think that the Biden and um, Harris win um, is, it's hopeful, it, it really gives hope. Um, but I still feel anxious because the current president has not conceded and it doesn't look like he intends to do so um, anytime soon. And so I, I believe that the next couple of months will be bumpy. It's gonna be extremely difficult. Um, but putting sort of the anxiety aside and the craziness of the year, having a woman, the first woman ever to be in um, the second highest seat in the world, not in America, but the world is incredible. Um, and for her to be a woman of color that at that, it really um, was an emotional moment for me. I was in tears the entire weekend, happy tears because I couldn't believe it. Finally, you know, it's it's happening. So it was very inspiring. It really was um, just so incredible for me to see her speaking when she gave her speech, also in white, which I thought was um, really, really intentional because um, I don't know if you know this, but um, this year, a lot of the women, or maybe it was last year, but a lot of women in politics, they attended um, a congressional meeting all wearing white. It was a statement that they were trying to make to really solidify the fact that women have sort of crashed that glass ceiling and now are in spaces that they hadn't been before. So her doing that during her wow. speech, it was like, yes, we did it. We're here. So it's I didn't know that about the um, the wearing all white. So that makes yeah. it even more symbolic and powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But definitely, I relate to your sentiments about it just being inspiring and very hopeful. But still, there is like that uneasiness. feeling of anxious, right, un uneasiness, because we still have until January to see, okay, what's really going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I definitely understand and relate where you're coming from. Now, as far as just the political climate, that's the world is in. And um, even with things going on with social justice and racism, what do you feel like right now? What position should the church be be playing? Like what role should the church be playing with everything yeah. that's going on? I think that the church is responsible to be a light um, in the midst of darkness. I believe that the church is supposed to take a stance um, against injustice, against what's wrong. Um, we're supposed to be the hands and feet of God. And I know that there are a lot of religious leaders who are reluctant to get involved in politics and what's happening socially um, because they very much feel that there should be a separation between church and state. But if we truly understand the role that Jesus played when he walked this earth, we understand that everything he did was political. Even Jesus's crucifixion was political because the crucifixion in and of itself was used to um, as a symbol to either um, kill individuals who were having a following that was too large or disturbing outside of the Roman Empire, 
or it was used for individuals who broke the law. It was essentially capital punishment, right? And so Jesus, an innocent man who did no wrong, was crucified as though he was a criminal. And that in and of itself is political. And so what that says to me is that if we're going to follow, follow Christ, um, humanity, humanity should always take precedence over law. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that um, I don't believe in law and order as the current president likes to pretend you know, that he does, um, because I think that law is a necessity, right? To make sure that we have efficient and sustainable uh, societies and civilizations. However, if a law is unjust, it should be broken. <laughs> it should be changed. It should be reformed. Laws that are unjust are meant to be broken. And I think that as Christians, if we separate ourselves from the laws that affect us, our family, our people, our communities, then what are we doing? We're just coming to church every Sunday and worshiping while people are dying. And I think we have a responsibility to be concerned about humanity because humanity represents God. Mm, that's so good. I love your position on that. Um, now, one of the things I've been seeing on social media since Biden was elected mm -hmm. or, you know, president-elect has been what seems to be a division in the body yeah. of Christ. Yeah. And it's very, well, personally, it's been disheartening to see because it seems mm -hmm. like there's just division and people are going, you know, head to head against each other based on prophecies and preferences and all these things. So now with that in mind, how do you think we can come back to a place where we're Christ-centered and really just focused on unity? Yeah, I definitely think that um, we should always aim to unify the body of Christ to the extent that we are able to, right? I don't think that we should focus our energy so much on trying to unify ourselves while sort of removing focus from the things that are important. And I'm not saying that unity isn't important. I'm just saying that sometimes it's okay to agree to disagree. And the reason why I say that is we have countless examples in the Bibles where we see these were people who loved God genuinely, but they didn't agree on how to love God or how to serve God, right? And they just go their separate ways. And so I think my issue with our generation in this society is the fact that we think we need to agree on everything about mm. everything. And we don't. We don't. I mean, it's okay for me to have my preference. It's okay for me to live my life a certain way. It's okay for me to have a style, right, that you may not really um, agree with. Like, maybe you don't like wearing suits. I do. We don't have to hate each other for it. We still love God, you know, and it's okay. And I think that we have forgotten that we can coexist. So I think that trying to be rigid about the type of unity that we seek to see is, is one that only will exist in heaven. I mean, that's the only time that we will all be in complete and total harmony. But I think that we have a responsibility that if there's someone in the faith who is standing against what we know it's, is right, we can respectfully disagree with them in love but we got to call it out. I can't just say, cause you're a Christian. No, I'm not going to publicly disagree with you. Is it wrong? If it's wrong, then yeah, what you said is wrong. And that's okay. That's okay. Disagreement does not always mean argument. Now I, I will agree though, that there, that there are some um, religious, religious leaders. I don't, I don't 
necessarily agree with their tone or how they said certain things like the name calling or the disrespect. I do think that as Christians, we ought to be civil. We ought to represent God. Like even though Jesus would like call people out on their stuff, he did it in like the most tactful and respectful way possible. And I think that we should aim to model that same behavior. Yeah. And I think you make a great point. We, we can agree to disagree, you know, not saying that if we all had the same thoughts, what kind of world would this be? Or if we all, yeah. if, it would be very boring, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but doing it in a way where we can, like you said, coexist and yeah. we are still showing the love of Christ through yes. this disagreement. Um, right. That's what I'm not seeing or what I yeah. have, what I haven't seen. And so, you know, I'm hopeful yeah. that we can, we can get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to shift gears a little bit sure, and talk about uh, your organization. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about Bloom Circle and Women's Fest, how everything just kind of came to fruition, why you wanted to start it, how it started. Um, and just tell us a little bit more about, you know, what the purpose is. Absolutely. So the work that I do with women in general um, is really a passion project if you will. It's something that uh, stemmed from my experiences as a child. The first experience being the fact that I was the only girl. Uh, well, my parents only had two kids, so it was my brother and I, right? And so I always, you know, craved for a sister. I always wanted that sisterhood and that bond. Um, and so my entire life, for whatever reason, I was always searching for friendship and particularly friendship with other women that I could glean from. And I wasn't successful. Like I always had bad experiences, right? I think that society for a very long time has taught us, especially women of color, that we ought to compete with one another. We ought to be very like concerned about how we look. We ought to strive for the attention of men. And that's just really all I ever knew growing up. And I don't, I always felt uncomfortable about it. I was like, why can't we just build each other up? Like, why can't I build a bond with a sister and we support one another and then they're not be bickering and arguing. And so even though that's something that I experienced um, with women by the, by default of how um, the women in our communities are taught to be, it's not something that I accepted. Um, I wasn't defeated by it. I always knew that eventually this is something that I would want to work on and speak out against. Um, And so as I got older and I started to pursue um, leadership roles, right, I became an ordained minister at the age 21. Not only did I have this weight of feeling like women didn't support each other, I now started to enter this realm where men were essentially telling me that I needed to stay in my place, right, that I shouldn't be preaching, I shouldn't be in leadership positions. I should speak when spoken to. And that also made me feel like, no. You know, I was constantly going against the grain, challenging the norms, trying to change the narrative. And, you know, it was hard. But once I reached a certain level of comfort and my work started to speak for me, I was able then to be in positions where I was able to speak against some of the things that I experienced. And so the reason why I created uh, the Women's Fest Conference was that I wanted to create a space where I could help cultivate an environment where women were supporting each other and were not competing with one another. 
where women could glean from other women, where women could get the resources and the education and the tool that they needed to pursue their goals, both professionally, educationally, et cetera. And I have also in my own life tried to be the change that I wanted to see, being kind to women, being respectful when they reach out to me, you know, not comparing myself. And so that's why I say it's a passion project because I've been able to do that over the years. I mean, women come into our spaces, they come to our event and they're like, this changed my life, you know, or they meet women at the events that they are now best friends with. Um, and so that's always what, what I wanted. And so that's really where Women's Fest uh, came from. Bloom Circle, however, was birthed uh, through Women's Fest because Women's Fest is only a one day event. And after the event, women will reach out to me like, when's the next one? And I don't know if you've hosted events in the past, it takes a lot out of you. Um, and I couldn't possibly do that like more times, you know, more than once within a year, but they wanted more, right? And so I was trying to think of a way to create um, sort of an environment or maybe an organization where maybe we weren't having these events uh, multiple times in one year, but we could probably have like an online community or have little pop-ups and small groups where we continue to pour into each other. So that's essentially what Bloom Circle is. It's really going to be a hub for women to get information, tools, resources whenever they need to, but also for them to continue to connect and to create sort of a tribe of women that will help them pursue their goals throughout the year. Yeah, and I think it's so necessary because like you mentioned, um, we are conditioned to kind of go against one another instead of support one another. And it's it's very unfortunate. Um, so just having these different spaces where you can thrive, where you can bloom, um, yeah. where you can have support, accountability, all these things, um, I think it's, it's just amazing and it's so necessary. Yeah. Um, one of the things you touched on uh, though, when you were speaking uh, was about how you, when you started preaching and you got into this space, how women weren't really supported and it was kind of like, you know, this isn't the space for you. Yeah. And so I imagine the corporate space is mm -hmm. similar or you might've had similar experiences mm -hmm. <laughs> with that. Mm -hmm. So what were some of those challenges? Um, Cause I know some people, even though we're in the entrepreneurial fad mm -hmm. and phase, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. There yeah. are still people that's in the corporate space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're nine to five, right? Right. So what ha what were some of those challenges that you faced? You know, just being um, a leader, a woman leader in corporate, and just climbing that ladder. Sure. So I'm currently in the um, not for profit sector. I'm a deputy director for a nonprofit organization. However my career did start in the for-profit sector. Uh, prior to assuming this position as deputy director, I was an interim director uh, and chief human resources officer for a for-profit medical staffing agency on the main line. And then before that, I was a human resources director for another company. And yes, absolutely. I will say that um, it's interesting because uh, in the nonprofit sector, there's actually a lot more female leadership than there is in the for-profit for sector. So my um, uh, sort of supervisor is actually a woman. We have an amazing relationship. We're like two girlfriends, feminists, like having a great time. So I would say that my current experience has been great so far. Now in the for-profit sector, yes, unfortunately um, the people who are at the top are still very much so white men 
who are dominating um, the for-profit sector. And I've always felt like I had to take this sort of subservient position, right? I would feel like I would say something, an idea that was really great, and somebody else who is white and a male would say the same exact thing. And for whatever reason, when they said it, it clicked and it made sense. And I'm just sitting there like, I just said that, you wow. know? And it was almost as if you kind of feel like you're in the room, but no one sees you. And it's certainly a really difficult experience that can really uh, mess with you psychologically. I think definitely experience imposter syndrome um, in my career. But at the end of the day, I didn't let that stop me because in, in, the, in a weird way, even though I would say something and another, my male counterpart, if you will, would say the same thing and they would get the recognition, it was still empowering for me in a very weird way that the idea, it confirmed in front of me that it was a good idea. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Right. And so for me, it was like, what's happening here ain't got nothing to do with me. It's them. It's them who are stuck in their ways and who can't see my potential. But I was able to realize that, okay, my ideas are good. Like I am their equal, if not better. You see what I mean? And so I was able to realize that my thought process processes and the things that I bring to the table that I didn't have to feel like an imposter because they were stealing my ideas. And if they're stealing them, that means they're good. Does that make sense? <laughs> I know it's terrible what we may have to go through, but like, it's really just trying to see the positive in the little things and pushing through no matter what. Pushing through, not letting anyone put you down, not letting anyone tell you that you can't, and constantly reminding yourself that you deserve to be at the table just like anybody else. Yeah, and some people might not know what imposter syndrome is. So can you explain what that is for them? Absolutely. So imposter syndrome is essentially a feeling that when you are in a certain environment that you don't deserve to be there and that eventually you will be exposed as either someone who is unintelligent, who um, doesn't really know what you're talking about, or as someone who really isn't up to par with your colleagues or the other individuals that are in that environment. And that is something that we as women, especially Black women, tend to feel more than others because we are sort of infiltrating spaces that we, we never did in the past, right? We don't really have a playbook. We don't have any examples to look at. And so when you're kind of thrown into a space uh, that you've never been before, you feel like you don't belong. And then you start to question everything you do, everything you say. You're like, was that good enough? Did I sound smart? Did I sound dumb? It's this constant psychological battle that we tend to go through that can really uh, be detrimental. It can really stifle your growth because if you really allow yourself to go down that rabbit hole, you start to believe that you don't deserve to be there. Yeah, and I've, I've struggled with it like I'm sure a lot of women have. And it's... Yeah. um. You know, it takes work to not believe those mm -hmm. thoughts that, yeah. that try to come and stop you from pursuing, whether it's your goals, your business, whatever. You just have to be persistent in rewiring your thinking Yes, as it relates to those things. Yes. Now, for the woman who's, you know, she's in the corporate space, she might be facing imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to just advance in her career. She's trying to break those glass ceilings that we talked about earlier. You mm -hmm. know, what advice would you give to her and how to kind of maneuver the space? Yeah. First of all, I would tell her to be a forever learner. 
right? Be teachable. And, and the reason why I say that is one of the ways that I've been able to combat imposter syndrome is that I know I know my stuff, right? And so education is key. And I'm not talking about a formal, just a formal education, right? Because I do realize that there are many women who wish to like advance in their career. They don't necessarily have the finances, right? To go back to school. Technology is the best thing that could happen to minority communities because you literally have things at your disposal at your fingertips. You can go on YouTube and literally learn about human resources management. And so what I mean about being a constant learner is constantly doing research, constantly brushing up on your skills, making sure you're learning what's changing, what's new now, so that you are always an expert in your field. So I always allot time every weekend where I'm literally researching about the things that I do, both in my career and both in ministry, so that I always know what I'm talking about. It's kind of like you ever had to prepare for something, whether it's a presentation or a speech, the more prepared you are, the more confident you feel, right? Absolutely. Because those nerves are going to be there anyway. Whether you're prepared or not, you're going to feel the nerves. But the nerves will overtake you if you're not ready. But when you're ready, it's kind of like you just get in there, you start to put the information out there, and then the confidence, it just comes. You see what I'm saying? So be a constant learner and be teachable. Number two, fail fast. Fail fast. And what does that mean? So there's this theory about failing fast, right? And what it, I've learned that, um, you know, one of the things that imposter syndrome will do to you is it'll cripple you and you'll be so afraid about failing that you won't try, right? And I encourage women to not be afraid to fail, right? Because the most successful people in life are people who actually tried. And what I mean by fail fast is that try everything. If it doesn't work, move on to the next thing quickly. Okay? Try everything. If it doesn't work, move on to the next thing quickly. Because you know what's the one thing that we can't make up? Time. And a lot of people, they stay in situations that are bad for them or that aren't working for them because they think that's the best they can do, right? And they end up wasting years and time and things that don't work. So what I'm saying to you is this, if there's a career that you wanna pursue, pursue it. If you're there for about six months to a year and you're not growing and they're not seeing the value in you, move on to the next thing quickly. Same thing for business. Now I'm not saying for you to be irresponsible in your business. I'm not telling you to quit your job if you got mouths to feed, you always need a plan. But what I find is that women, especially because we think that we can't do better, we end up staying in situations that aren't working for us because we think that that's the best that we could do. So I say be a constant learner, don't be afraid to fail and fail fast and go after it no matter what. That's so good. And I love that you said fail fast. I think we are so fearful of failing. Like we take yeah. failure so personally, like mm -hmm. it's not our identity. It's just a learning experience. Exactly. And so take from it what you need to learn and keep it moving. I love that you said fail fast. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, you know, those tips will help those women that, and that can apply not even to women in the corporate space, but yeah. in any area of life that you're trying to pursue. Right. So how many of us stay with that <laughs> for like 17 years? And I'm like, sis. <laughs> like, move on. Yeah, you know? Right, right, right. Exactly. And always know that every failure has a lesson. So it's never time wasted. Like, this was good, right? Because now I know. And now I can tell other people. 
oh, always learn from other people's mistakes. Mm, that's good. People don't understand, like, why would I go, if I see you going down a certain path and I legit see you fall down in some sort of pit, why would I, what, do I think I'm exempt or something? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, learn from other people's mistakes. It isn't to say to have this mindset that if something didn't work for someone else, it won't work for you. That's not what I'm saying, right? Because God has a purpose for us all. But what I'm saying is if there are certain things that clearly have not worked for multiple people, right? It's kind of like insanity, attempting the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. If something has not worked for a lot of people who are just like me or whatever, who are in my same circumstance, why on earth would I waste time on that? Yeah. You know, it's just not worth it. So I definitely think we should learn from other people's mistakes. It's kind of like when your your mother or somebody older in your family tries yeah. to tell you something yeah. and you don't listen and you still have to go through that experience yourself. Exactly. It's like <laughs> you could have just listened. You just wasted like five years of your life, you know? And it's hard because we do genuinely think sometimes that we'll be different. We'll be the exception, right? And wisdom will tell you just listen sometimes you just gotta listen yeah that's so good sometimes you just gotta listen um so learn from other people's mistakes and there's so many people you can learn from it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that you know exactly it can be somebody from afar you know somebody who's in a space that you desire to get to learn look at their story you know see what their journey was and learn from them so that's really really good yeah. Um, I want to shift gears again a little bit mm-hmm. um, as we get ready to wrap it up. Um, you know, you're very focused on women and, um, you know, helping women advance again, like we've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the basics. Let's go back mm-hmm. to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Who is your favorite woman character in the Bible and why? Yeah. So my favorite female character, Funny, doesn't even have a name, right? Mm. She's known as the woman with the issue of blood. And this is uh, evident, right, of the struggle since the beginning of women, right? Just not even being acknowledged as if, like, we we weren't really a part of history that our names aren't even documented half the time. But this woman is my... um, favorite female in the Bible because of her bravery. And again, it ties back into how laws that are unjust are meant to be broken. So this woman, um, according to the Jewish law, should not have left her home because the condition that she had was considered unclean and she was not supposed to be in the full or to be around other people because just by default of coming in contact with her, people felt like they too were unclean. And so she had a responsibility to stay in isolation. But when she found out that the answer to her prayer or her healing was in town, she broke the rules and she left. And the reason why I love her and I admire her is because she had no way to know that she would even make it to him. Because Somebody saw her, she could have been stoned and never even made it, but that was a risk that she was willing to take because the life that she currently had compared to the life that she could have all boiled down to one decision. Wow. 
like, do I stay here and die? Cause I'm dying anyway. Or do I go after my dreams and potentially die, but I might not die and I might actually get what I need. And so I think that moments are so important and we often miss them because we got to make decisions quickly. And she literally made an executive decision that changed her life forever to say, go or not, go or not go. And she went and she got her healing. So I, I love her for that. She was, she, she's just amazing to me. I just. <laughs> I love that. She yeah. made an executive decision. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And she didn't let, you know, politicians, the government law dictate her healing. And why do we have laws that, I just, I think that whenever there is a law that imposes on the humanity of somebody else, it's problematic. Right. Like, we think people, if they're out of sight, they're out of mind. Like, her problem is not my problem. She got her issues. She needs to stay in her house and don't mess with me. You know what I mean? But she was like, look, this, this, this law ain't ungodly. I'm in here dying. Mm. You know, go get mine and I'm like yes girl <laughs> you know go get yours and I just I'm so inspired by her story because it was incredible and and I love how you know the bible talks about she you know she grabbed the hem of his garment it really shows the tenacity because she was she was essentially crawling mm. she was weak meek you know that means she was on the ground and even though she probably couldn't speak because maybe they were loud and they couldn't hear her. God felt her presence. He felt that. And that is amazing. I just think it's incredible. That's so good. That is yeah. so good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that alone because I we could go on. We can... <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but that's so good. But one of the things that you said I, that I did want to highlight, you said a lot of times we miss moments because mm -hmm. we don't, make decisions quickly yeah and oh that is so true and a lot of time I actually just saw somebody posted today mm -hmm. talking about how we don't make decisions for our lives because we're quote-unquote waiting on God and God is waiting on you <laughs> I tell people what are you waiting for are you waiting for some lightning or you know or we'll do that we'll be like God I'm about to open this Bible wherever it falls <laughs> That's not, you know, we get so like hocus pocus, spooky dookie. I mean, that's when you end up having people like Paula White talking about some angels from Africa. And we want like things to be like, God is not some like magician. You know what I mean? Like he's actually very practical and like very clear. It's like you want A, you got to do B, period. <laughs> you know, and when you are in relationship with God, He's talking to you constantly. He's talking to you constantly. Yeah. Get in relationship and make the decision. Yes. yes. That's good. And, and you know what I feel? I, I honestly believe, you know, going back to my theory about failing fast, which is not my original theory, by the way. It's, you can do research on it. There are a lot of books on failing fast. But this idea of failing fast and trying everything and just moving on to the next it really is in alignment with the Bible first that says all things work together. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. The way I see it, if what I'm doing is not disobedient to God, it's not sin. If I try something, as long as I'm in relationship with him, he's going to make work it out. 
it's above me now. (laughs) (laughs) Like he asks me to make a move, take a step. God, God loves everything that is living and breathing. When you are literally stagnant, it goes against God's will for your life. Mm. He loves movement because you're constantly challenging him to show up. And, and, and in fact, faith really is manifested when we're doing things without really knowing how it's going to go, right? Because you don't have all the answers, but that's the whole point. He wants you to put him to test. Yeah, so wow. I, I love it. Pastor Jen, you are preaching on here. <laughs> Listen, I hope y'all are listening. Oh man. So now still keeping focus on the woman. What do you what's your perspective on what the role of a woman is and the purpose of a woman according to the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> so I have an issue with this question and I'll tell you why. Um I think that gender roles, unless you're talking about marriage, aren't really a thing in the Bible, Mm. right? Come on. Talking about marriage, it's very clear about how I should be as a wife and how men should be as a woman and how I should be as a mother and how men should be as parents. But if you put marriage out of it, gender is not a factor here. It's about what my role is as a Christian and as an individual moving in this world, living out my purpose. You see what I'm saying? Um, And so I think that there are social constructs about what women should be like that aren't necessarily godly constructs. God pours out his spirit on all men. And my responsibility as an individual, be it male, female, adult, or child, is to do God's will whatever that will is that is my role to be the best version of myself and to do what god has called me jennifer to do not jennifer the woman but jennifer a child of god period (laughs) (laughs) right i mean that's just like and marriage is not for everybody that's what we don't yes We've been spending so much time telling women how to be a good wife, how to serve your husband, how to, what about the women who can't have kids? You're infertile. So what is my life over now? God don't got nothing for me to do because I can't have kids. What if I don't want to get married? Paul talks about the person who might not want to get married. Absolutely. Okay. That's not, your life is not defined by that. There is something that God has called each and every one of us to do. And that is my role, to, to figure out what that thing is and to do it well. You, let me tell you, you're in the spirit, okay? Because <laughs> I'm literally, maybe two hours ago, not that I was saying this for myself, but just from yeah. things I was seeing in my mind, I'm saying marriage is not the goal for life. It's not. I'm sorry. It's great. Right. It's to have somebody to do life with, which is essentially what marriage should be, I think is somebody doing life with. And that's the story for another day. But not everybody wants that. And that's okay. And I mean, it's, it, it really bothers me that women have just been subjected to that. Like our looks, marriage, and bearing children. And so women who can't do these things feel like they're not worthy. And that's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. Much more that we have to offer. 
Yeah, this is so good. This is definitely a necessary conversation. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to bring you back on the podcast so we can do a part <laughs> two because this sure. is so, so good. Yeah. Um, but what's next for you? What are you working on? Do you have anything coming up? And how can people get in contact with you? Absolutely. So people can get in contact with me uh, via my website, which is uh, jenniferjoseph.org or on Instagram, which is uh, Pastor Jennifer Joseph. In terms of what's next for me, God has really been dealing with me in this year um, because I have a history of just moving fast, like doing a whole bunch of things. And I think this is true for everyone. COVID-19 really told us to like sit down somewhere and like focus on what's important. But um, I do feel that there is a call over my life uh, eventually to really focus more um, on pastoring. And so I've just been really praying, asking God what he wants me to do because I do feel like my voice is important for this generation uh, with respect to how we navigate the next couple of years. So um, I'm praying about it. So I really don't know. I don't know, but I know that something around pastoring is imminent wherever God leads me. You know, I think those moments are necessary when we're not always on the go. Yeah. And we're still enough to be able to hear what God is telling us to do, get the instructions so then we can go. So absolutely, you know, whatever is next, we know it'll be blessed from you because you are actually listening and being led by God. Um, So we'll be looking forward to what it is that you do. Make sure you guys get connected with Pastor Jen. And then what, you know, do you have any final message for the people who might be listening, whether it's related to the corporate space or even just navigating the world as a woman? Um, What would you want to leave the people with? I would just leave them with um, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will come to pass. I think um, in this season, God wants us to silence the noise and just seek him. And that could look like anything. It could look like devotions at the top of your day, just speaking to him constantly, getting in your word. And I really do feel like when you do that, he'll center you and you'll be able to hear him to really know how you should move forward. And I think that this is true, not just for us to discover our purpose, but us to be able to cope with what's happening because I think that um, these triggers can cause depression. A lot of people have lost loved ones so they might you know be suffering with trying to cope with bereavement and and things like that. So I really think seeking God's face is so imperative in this season and I mean that and literally if you seek God in everything in your business, in your marriage, for your mental health, he will show himself and you will feel like you are um, clear about about where you are and how you should move. Absolutely. And, and you know, you guys listening, you know, we co-signed that message here at Seek God, Slay Goals. That is our yeah. foundation, Seeking yes. God. Um, so I hope you all have enjoyed this episode. Go back and listen. Pastor Jen, drop some gems. Okay, go back, get your notepad. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, and this has been another episode of the Seek God's Legos podcast. And definitely make sure you guys stay tuned in uh, for what's next with us. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys in the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to the Seek God's Legos podcast. Stay connected with us on Facebook and Instagram at Seek God's Legos.